Good morning, Anthem. How is everybody? Wasn't that just the most spectacular time of worship? Yeah, words fail, and it's a nightmare to be a preacher after worship like that. Because <laughs> we're just so convinced of how He is just everything. Well, good morning. Uh, it's a real joy for Candice and I to be with you this whole weekend. For those of you, you know, we haven't seen yet from either Friday or Saturday, good morning. You're in the right place. You're in a phenomenal church. This is a wonderful community to your pastors, Rich and Jax. It's just such a joy, honestly, massive, massive joy to be with you. This community is very special. I always try and uh, assess what it is from a community uh, that I can take away, and there's so much from this, but I just want to encourage you in one particular aspect that I've seen as a thread throughout this whole weekend, and that is the level of sincerity with which you're chasing God, with which you're pursuing God, which with, you, uh, with which you're pushing into His presence. And may that continue. The worship across this weekend has just been a reflection of the hearts of the people that are leaning in. So, May you continue in that. May you be strengthened in that. May that become a continued anthem of this church anthem, that it's the, it's the cry of your heart to see His face. Can we take a moment and pray? Father, in these moments, we ask for your blessing and for your Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. And Jesus, that you would be revealed, that you would be glorified in your name. Amen. I love this theme for your summer, Take Hold. And it's the moment I got that theme, one particular scene from school came to mind. Grade 8, our Latin master, we took Latin in school. It was one of the last sort of classes that they were going to offer. So I took Latin from grade 8 all the way through to matric. Our Latin master was a guy called Mr. Barneycoat. He had about three strands of hair and the most epic comb over you could ever imagine in your life. He started his hair here and it kind of went over there. He was also in charge of discipline for grade 8, but he was such a lovely man. He didn't want to hurt a fly. However, there was something about, and I think he had PTSD from his own hairstyle. There was something, there was something about a, a long hairdo that he hated. And he, and he had a particular passion when he would cane us for long hair. My friend Alistair wouldn't obey the rules. He, uh, it was the days when you would have the, the, the windows, we called them the, the curtains, middle parting and the, the hair coming down. And, and that had to be land above your eyebrow, otherwise you were dead in the water. And uh, so Monday morning, the, the, the test came, how's the hair? And Alistair failed yet again, but Alistair had a pattern of failing. And so eventually got sent to Mr. Barnicoat's class. Now Mr. Barnicoat's class was right at the end of the, the hallway. And we knew that Elle was going to get jacked again. And so as good friends do, we all lined up to watch the spectacle. Uh, and there was a, there were, you know, you could see into the glass anyway. So Alistair goes in and, and picture it with, you, with me, would you, for a moment. I'm sorry I don't have a blackboard as a prop. Where, but, you know, there's the blackboard. In fact, let me, I'm going to turn the pulpit. And uh, John, would you mind just holding my mic here? Because I really do need two hands for this. So Alistair gripped the blackboard. 
and bent like this. He took a hold. He took a hold of the blackboard. And I watched his knuckles. His knuckles were white. Mr. Barnicote took a hold of the cane. And with an almighty swing. Now, Alistair had a cocky look on his face. He would be looking at us like this with a very cocky grin on his face. However, the moment that the contact happened and the cane hit the, the back of his legs, not his bum, the back of his legs, his face changed into a scene of disbelief, agony, and humiliation. And Mr. Barnicote took strike number two. And as he took strike number two, he overcorrected. And this time he hit Alistair in the small of his back. <laughs> and Alistair was still taking a hold of the board. And Mr. Hobonico took a hold of the cane for a third and final time. And this time landed it in the sweet spot, right across the back. Thanks, John. And of course, as you do as grade eight boys, you all rush to the bathrooms, get him to drop his pants and have a look at the evidence. <laughs> Anybody got Jackson High School? Anybody relate? The reason I tell you that story is not simply to tell you about Mr. Barnicote and his epic comb over. I'm hoping you'll have a picture in your mind of what it means to take hold. White knuckled, white knuckled grip. Uh, and and the, the Hebrew, uh, not the Hebrew word, the, the biblical word for this is it's to hold properly, decisively, firmly. So the title of the message today is Take Hold of It. But what is it? Let's go to the text. Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14. Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, not that I've already obtained all this. These, uh, these texts, we're going to be in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, and then a little bit preceding that a little bit later on. These are exceedingly important. So if you want to grab your phones and take a picture of it, um, I hope that it will help you and serve you well. He says, not that I've obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to everybody. Would you say it with me? I press on to of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There is a mutual taking hold of here. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, would you notice with me this morning, take hold is mentioned three times in that text. Let me summarize it for you. It's take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I haven't taken hold of it yet. Are you with me? Take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I haven't taken hold of it yet. But the question remains, what is it? And before we discover what it is, I want us to discover how Paul takes a hold of it. We're going to deal with the how before we deal with the what today. Take note of how Paul takes hold of it. And he gives us the key. I want to go back to the text. Media team, if you would go back to that same text. He says, I take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Haven't taken hold of it yet. However, he goes, forgetting what's behind, I strain towards what is ahead. 
Friends, there's a secret to taking hold of it, and we'll find out what it is. But in the meantime, just bank that thought that in order to take hold of what it is, you've got to forget what is behind. You've got to enter the future with two hands to be able to take hold of what God has for you in the future. Now, Paul was a man of extraordinary success and a man who I imagine, unless Jesus had healed him, which I think he had, would have, could have carried enormous shame. He was the one who stood by as Stephen was stoned. He was the one who dragged Christians kicking and screaming out of their homes into the, 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 the kangaroo justice courts that they'd set up for Christ's followers. Paul was the chief persecutor of the church. Paul was the chief persecutor of Jesus. That's why Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And yet, he was also the one Jesus deemed worthy of a special appearance on a road to Damascus. He's the only one Christ appeared to like that. He was a special apostle. It's almost like Jesus took the 12 and obviously Judas got replaced. And then, and then Jesus looked at the situation on planet earth and said, we need someone with particular quality to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he discerns the character, the quality, the strength, the iron, the steel, the intellect the capacity that Saul has at that time, and he meets him and renames him Paul. And Paul wrote two-thirds of the words of the New Testament. So the point that I'm making is if anybody walked into the future with duplicity in their lives, it was Paul, not only the history of his persecution, but also the great calling to which God had called him. And in that moment, Paul had to make a decision, I have to leave the past behind. Friends, whether it's your successes or whether it's your failures, you can't take hold of it if your hands are full with the past. Keep moving. Don't camp. Don't stop. My kids like to tease me. They figured I've, I've got stuck. They tell me often, Dad, you've got stuck in the 90s music. You've got, you've got stuck in 91 to 94. <laughs> you got stuck in the grunge Seattle era. Like, don't, don't get stuck. One of our staff team, Heiner, and the comrades last year, and we were tracking him as his journey was going. And every time uh, the GPS tracker, the little dot on the, on the route stopped, we would hit a slight panic. Why has he stopped? Have, you, has it, have his legs seized up? What's going on? You know, is he on a loo break? Or what's the story? And as soon as we saw that, that dot moving again, we knew it was okay. I hope your dot hasn't stopped. I hope you haven't stopped perhaps 10 years in the past because you just can't get past. I want to offer us a thought today just before we move on. How to release our failures. It may involve repentance. It may involve a decision to restore relationship. It may involve a decision to forgive. I do want to say this. I wrote in my notes, to forgive ourselves so often is the greater task. And we remember in these moments that Satan is the great accuser. He is the accusing one. If there's any sense of accusation in your heart and spirit, know that it never came from God. How do we get, so we let go of our failures in one hand, but we also let go of our successes. 
How do we let that? It's to express gratitude to God for them. It's to thank Him for them. It's to acknowledge that every perfect, good and perfect gift is from Him. It's to humble ourselves. It's not to build a monument to our success. It's, not, it's to ask Him to use us afresh again. The only way that God can be present to us is in the present. That's why manna, I think that's why God, one of the reasons why God made manna in the wilderness as Israel came out. Manna is only good for one day. Unless it was the Sabbath where it would last for two, but manna is only good for one day. God can only be present and provisional for us in the day, in the present. And if we're camped in the successes of our past, we can't grab a hold of what lies ahead. And if we're devastated by the disappointments and destructive elements of our past and can't move forward, we can never move forward to take a hold. Take a hold of it. In order to do that, you've got to have two hands. And now we can figure out what it is. Are you with me today? You're tracking? Balcony? Making sense? Everybody knows the cleverest people always sit in the balcony. What is it? To get to the answer to that, friends, let's go back a few verses. We're in Philippians 3 still. We were verses 12 onwards. Now we're going to rewind to Philippians 3 and look at verses 7 to 11. Paul writes and he says, Whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The question we're asking right now is, what is it? Take a hold of it, but what is it? Now the words in, uh, that are, were bolded there, I'll, I'll recap them for us, allude to it, and I'm going to eventually get to it, what it is. What is it? Well, it's the sake of Christ, to gain Christ. Faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the power of Christ's resurrected power, the suffering and the participation in the suffering of Christ and becoming like Christ. Paul mentions all of these profound things in this text. And if we want to know what it is, I want to simply distill it down to this. I think all of these words gather into a funnel and the narrow end of the funnel is this. Paul is saying that it is simply to take hold of it is simply to know Jesus. It's the knowledge of Jesus. It's the increasing progressive growth in intimacy with Jesus. Take a hold of it. What is it? Jesus. The reason I say that, if we go straight back to that text, and to a team at the back, if you would keep that same verse up, 7 to 11, just look at it. He mentions it twice here. Knowing Christ, knowing Christ. Verse 8, what's more, I consider everything a loss. What? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 10 a little bit later. I want to do what? I want to know Christ. 
What is it? It's the knowledge of Christ. What is it? It's knowing Jesus. The progressive, growing knowledge of Jesus. And he says, everything else is garbage. It's a loss compared to knowing Jesus. It's the reason why he leaves the past behind. Why? Because he wants to grab a hold of knowing Jesus. Grab a hold of it. What is it? Knowing Jesus. Grab a hold of it. What is it? It's the knowledge of Christ. We and I as followers of Jesus, we will only really grab a hold of this. We will only take hold of knowing Jesus if we have an, in, an inexplicable, completely convinced heart and mind of the worth of Jesus. We'll only want to know Him. We'll only discard all that lies behind and have free hands for the future, to take hold of the future, if we are convinced that He's the thing worth taking hold of. There's a short little clip I want to show you of you two basking anonymously in a subway station in New York City. Just notice how everybody couldn't give a flying fiddle about them until they realize it's you two. Check it out. Interesting, hey? It matters if you know who you're looking at. Pastor and preacher called Dr. Sam Lockridge preached a message in 1974 called My King. I want to read you an extract of it because this man 
had grasped some of who Jesus was. I read you an extract of this this morning so that it could stir within your hearts and within your spirit the immeasurable, as Paul says, the immeasurable value of knowing Christ. He writes this, so this is some of his sermon. I'm not going to try and do it in my best African-American voice. It's not going to work. He says, the Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder if you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful and he's impartially merciful. I wonder, do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature, the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick, cleanses the lepers, forgives the sinners, discharges debtors, delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He is the key to knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, he says, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Isn't that spectacular? The point that I'm making is we'll take a hold of Jesus if we are convinced of his supreme worth. And yet, in the midst of that glory that he holds within himself, Jesus comes down to our level. And here's the progression that I hope we can make together is he doesn't come as Savior only. He comes as something more even more matchless for us. He comes as a friend. 
This is how he chooses to describe himself. Right at the end to his disciples. John 15. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead I've called you friends. For everything I learned from the Father. I've made known to you. Today I hope maybe with those two free hands that you've got now from the past, you could take a hold with your right hand of Christ's glory, of His matchless worth, His indescribable beauty. And with your left hand, could you in some way with me try and comprehend that that glory is also our friend. Our friend Trevor Hudson loves to describe it this way. Anytime we're in a moment where we're praying, we sit in one seat. And we pretend that he's right there. And talk to him like you would talk to a friend. Friends are interested in each other. Friends want to serve each other. Friends want to help each other. Friends want to get to know each other. Friends begin to share the deepest parts of their lives with each other. The reason why this other chair is so important is because it brings to a certain type, measure of reality the fact that he is present. This has changed the way that I pray. It's brought such a level of reality to the way I pray. Today in our, in our apartment, there was the carpet and the couch. and I put Jesus on the couch. He was on the couch. I was on the carpet. Didn't feel like I wanted to be looking face to face with him. I felt like I wanted to be looking up at him. And talk to him. Talk to him as you would a friend. Listen, at first it's going to feel weird. It'd be like, have I lost my marbles? But it's powerful when he makes his presence known from the place of an empty chair. Take a hold of Jesus. Worship him for his glory and converse with him for his friendship. The reason I'm saying this, and it might sound like overly simplistic, it might sound like, how can that help me to take a hold of Jesus? The moment we treat him as real, he becomes more real to us. The moment we create a space that we're hoping for, he fills the space that we're hoping for. The moment we decide to converse with him as though he's in the room, guess what happens, friends? He's in the room. It'll bring a reality to your prayer life and to your friendship with Jesus like never before.
Find a place, a few words on the screen. Find a place. Prepare your heart. Read a passage. Ponder what it may mean with him. And pray. I love the song. Again, I said this on Friday night. It's not complicated. We're just sons and daughters, friends of Christ, talking to him. There's a story told of Socrates. He's meditating by a river. One of his students comes up to him and says, Master, what is truth? Socrates grabs a hold of. Eastern language, um, Dricus Duplessis language, it would be other language. But he, he grabs him by the collar and hoists his head under the water. Holds it there until the arms are flailing and the gasping and the, the bubbles eventually stop. Pulls his head out and he says to him, now. When you want truth as badly as what you just wanted air, you're ready to discover what truth is. When you and I want Jesus like we want the air we breathe, we're ready to take a hold of him. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Just in this moment, I'm going to ask for us to take a moment and close our eyes and allow people a space to make a decision today. Today it will be my great privilege to invite you into a friendship with Jesus. Today I'm, I'm asking the question and inviting every single person in the room who doesn't yet have a friendship with Jesus to start that journey today. I'm not asking if you grew up in church. I'm not asking if you've been in church for your whole life. I'm not asking if you believe God. I want you, please, friends, to notice my wording is much more specific. I'm asking for those who want to make a decision to, to grab a hold of Christ, His glory with one hand and His friendship with the other. And to make a decision to follow him and to enter into a friendship with him. Isn't it profound that Jesus' terminology for you and I as followers of Jesus is that we are supposed to be his friends. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something really quick. And I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. I'll do a quick count to three. That, that's so that every person in the room knows exactly when this moment is. But if you're, if you're desperate for Jesus... If it's like the air that you breathe, if you, if you want a taste of His friendship, if you want Him in your life, if you want a reality to your knowledge of Jesus that you've never had, if you want to take a hold of Jesus in a fresh, new way, what a brilliant time at the beginning of the year to say, that's me, I want my friendship with Jesus to go to another I don't want head knowledge of Jesus, I want heart knowledge of Jesus. I want to know you, Jesus, as a friend, not simply as a Lord. I want intimacy with you. I want closeness with you. I want to converse with you. I want to share my heart with you. I want to share my life with you. I want to surrender my will to you. And I want to let you know what's going on in my life. If you want a friendship with Jesus today, I really sense God's going to put a touch on this moment and a heartfelt, sincere decision of every human being.
God honors that. And today will be the starting point of a new dimension. Again, it may be that you, you know God or you've, you believe in God, should I say. You've been in church maybe many years or maybe today it's your very first time. I don't know where you are and how you're situated. My question is this. If you want Jesus to take a hold of him, not only of his glory, but of his friendship. On the count of three, would you slip up your hand? I'll see your hand. I'll say thank you. And then I'll hand back to Pastor Rich and he'll take it from there. Ready on the count of three? Hands going up already. Here we go. One, two, three. All across this room. So, so many. So, so many. So, so. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, in this moment, thank you that you know every life. You know every life even more than we know our own lives. Thank you. You can take your hands down. Father, thank you. Jesus, honor this decision. Holy Spirit, work in every heart and life now that's raising their hand, that there would be a settling of a hunger. Those of you who've raised your hand, I'm going to pray something really, really dangerous for you, that your hunger for Jesus, oh, sure, some, somebody's going to be a God chaser for the rest of their lives. God's going to take you to the ends of the earth. Lord, let, let your presence be as precious as oxygen to every single person who's responded in this moment. Nothing marginal, nothing lukewarm. Complete and utter hunger and thirst for your presence, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.